I'm Angela Sutherland, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go. Hey, winners. Welcome back to Win the Day. If this is your first time here, we sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tips, tools, and strategies to win the day every day. The quote for this episode comes from Amelia Earhart and says, the most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. Joining me in the studio is Angela Sutherland, who is the co-founder and CEO of nutrition company Yumi that is taking the world by storm. If you're a parent, you'll know how difficult it can be to get healthy food for your children, especially with so much deception in the food industry. But what you may not know is that scientists consider nutrition in the first 1,000 days of a child's life to be the most important environmental factor in human development. Pregnant with her first child and unhappy with baby food options readily available to her, Angela and her co-founder Evelyn set out to do something about it. In 2015, they launched Yumi with a mission to build a healthier generation. Today, Yumi has become one of the fastest growing kids nutrition companies with more than 10 million meals delivered. Prior to her entrepreneurial journey, Angela worked in private equity and investment banking. Her mother was a refugee of the Vietnam War, moving to America in 1975. In this episode, we're going to talk with Angela about balancing kids with career, toughest moments along the way, the best lessons from her entrepreneurial journey, and how she built Yumi into the powerhouse it is today. Before we begin, the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life, so if there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. All right, let's win the day with Angela Sutherland. Angela, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the Win the Day show. Thanks for having me. What an amazing journey you've had. I'm so excited to talk about all the awesome things that you're done that you've done and still doing. Uh, you were born in the U.S., but your mum was a refugee of the Vietnam War. How open was she with you about the struggles that she had to overcome? And are there any specific lessons or stories she shared with you that you remember today? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I think who I am today is absolutely because of what she went through. She was probably the strongest person I've ever met. I think one of the things that we talked about was just how much how much you can overcome. So how much the world can throw at you and you don't let that stop you from life. And we really actually never got into details of the war until I was maybe, you know, 20 in my 20s. Like I think it was something we never really talked about because it was too close, too soon you know, too painful. But one of the things that she really instilled in me was how much you can do with your life and how you should never let anything get you down and bring like hold you back. And I carry that forward today. And I think that one of the best things about that sort of concept is just an unbridled optimism. Mm. Like, it's okay. Like, shake it off. Like, the world's going to be great. Like, everything's going <laughs> to be okay. Like, and I think feeling that way allows me to get through really tough decisions and really tough times. Because mm. if you let the world weigh you down at will, there are a lot of things thrown at you. There's a lot of things in this world that are unfair or scary. And I think being optimistic that the world's better and will be better, I think really, like again, allowed me to 
push further in my career, take your bigger, bigger risks. Mm. And so that's sort of the lesson that she kind of imparted to me. Yeah. Your mum went on to uh, eventually, uh, you know, have a lot of success in her own right professionally, um, had one of the largest minority owned auto suppliers in the entire country. Was she a business mentor to you specifically, or was it just more of a, you know, a traditional supportive mother-daughter relationship? Uh, she wasn't a business mentor per se. I would say that um, the company really started actually right after she passed away. Um, but my whole life was surrounded by business. So, you know, since a young kid at the table, I'd listen to conversations around, you know, streamlining supply chain, you know? And so <laughs> I think it's sort of by proxy, like you're around it all the time. You hear it all the time. And I also think, again, seeing struggle and success is a really great mentorship. Mm. And I think, you know, when we talk about mentorship or when I talk about it broadly, I actually think the best mentors or people that you should look for as mentors are not necessarily the ones that can teach you the most specifically about an assignment or, you know, your your job, but rather can teach you the most about yourself. Like, can you find someone that believes in you and allows you to believe in yourself? So like, and I think that that relationship can like, you know, build confidence, build, you know, sort of resilience to things because you feel like, hey, this mentor believes in me. This older, Mm -hmm. smart person believes in me. And if that's, and if that's true, I should probably believe in myself too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually what I think a good mentorship is. And so in that sense, she has absolutely been a mentor to me because she always gave me that. People talk about education as being one of the greatest gifts that you can have, but you mentioned there like the conversations that you're having within the home. Mm-hmm. To me, the conversations that, that happened in the home um, were an unbelievable advantage. What are you focused on as your kids are going to get? I know they're, they're young at the yeah. moment, but when they get older, is there anything in particular that you're focused on to make sure that they're strong, they're resilient, they're resourceful? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my kids right now are six and eight, and so it's actually a really good time to have at the dinner conversations around sort of general broader concepts. And so we talk about resilience and optimism. We talk about not letting something bother you. Like, I think it's, you can see it in early ages when kids get very frustrated. They can't finish an assignment. They, you know, they get something wrong and they get very angry. And it's just about, you know, taking a deep breath, like thinking about, what to do right, like, how do you fix it? Like, so there, I, we talk about there's no such thing as a problem. It's just a way to find a solution. Kind of, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, how is there, how do we solve this? There's nothing that's like gonna, nothing should stop you here, you know? And I think, or it's little things like we talk, like there's, there's no losing, there's winning and learning. You know, there's little things that we try to talk about. So that way they see that life is a, is a long journey. There's no like moment in time. So today you might not have done as well as you thought, but you can learn from that Mm -hmm. and then you can still win. Yeah. The love of learning sounds like that's a big thing you're trying to instill. Mm -hmm. Mm. And what about your time in in private equity and investment banking? Did you reach a point where you just said enough is enough? I need to get out of here and and do my own thing. Or do you just feel like that it was a natural uh, evolution for you to go and and tread your own path? Yeah, no, I I actually loved both of those experiences. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be because... I hated it that I had to get out of it. It was actually because I think one private equity and I was on, you know, the the side where you're actually the interim CRO or CFO to multiple different companies. So I was already on the operation side. 
like I always wanted to start something, take over something, you know, operate. And it just became a natural evolution because a problem presented itself that I was really passionate about. And I think that's that's a good sort of path. I mean, either you could be frustrated with what your life is and do something, but for me, it was more just like, I was very excited about an opportunity. Mm. Was there anything about the companies that you worked with in that role where you were like, look, if I ever have my own company, I would never, ever do this? I mean, certainly. I was doing, <laughs> yeah, I was doing distressed debt. So we were like, you know, turning around companies and there were a lot of learnings there. And I think what's really, again, it's really funny. It actually, for me, kind of broke down that all companies are inherently the same. And I think learning that was a really great gift because a lot of people think they have an expertise. Like, I'm really good at this job. I'm in this field. I'd be scared to switch sectors. But when I, because private equity is like across all sectors, I, all companies are inherently the same. You know, they have, they need to make money. There are a lot of expenses. They you know, can lose money. Like, you know, it's like, how are you reducing expenses and making more money? You know, is this, you know, age old problem across every single industry and every single one. And so your skill set probably will apply in any other sector. And I think, again, that was a gift because it made me less scared to start something. Because people often ask, you know, did you have any experience in food? I was like, I mean, not particularly, but it, it didn't matter because it was a problem that I had seen before and I could solve. Mm -hmm. You're like, I enjoyed eating food, but not specific business yeah. experience in it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and we, we touched on it a little bit in the intro, but what was the problem that you wanted to solve with Yumi and, and why did it fall on your shoulders to do it? Sure. So I, I'm a big nerd. And so I do a lot of research and it's, you know, sort of my vice is like late night research into clinical trials and weird studies. And when I was pregnant, when I had a baby, I started realizing that a lot of the work for parenting fell on the shoulders of a mother. Um, just there's decisions around anything that they consumed, you know, what they were doing, what they're going to learn. All of these were problems that fell on a mother. And I was working really long hours. I was in private equity. And what to feed my baby fell on me. And so I started doing research around this. And I've always been fascinated with sort of my belief on like long-term sectors. And one of them has always been healthcare, you know, with metabolic disease, aging population, that entire sector I think is interesting and will change. Um, also with food, I, I think obviously I eat, <laughs> but, like, um, but you know, I've always been interested in like sort of how the agricultural system will change and what's going to happen there. And when I started researching around childhood nutrition, I was sort of gobsmacked that Early childhood nutrition is a period that is actually epigenetic. So it that means it alters the expression of your genes. So, you know, you have people are like, oh, they're born this way. It's actually this nutrition in this period can actually alter that. And sort of easy examples of that are you don't get enough vitamin D, you can get rickets or mm -hmm. calcium and get rickets, right? Like if you, um, you know, you're born, you can't like grow as much. There's, you know, Tons of sort of examples around that, but it's actually true for across all vitamins and minerals. So, you know, if you don't get enough iron, your your brain doesn't have enough to like, you know, make neural development. And so it can stunt your IQ. And knowing this really started make opening my eyes to sort of growing disparities. So between, you know, affluent cultures, between, you know, like sort of 
places in the world where people live. But if you don't have access to the right nutrition, it can actually change your trajectory. Mm -hmm. And particularly when it comes to feeding your kid, a lot of people don't have a choice. They have to buy commercially made food. They don't have the time or the resources to make everything at home. Mm -hmm. And if you take a step back on who that affects, it often affects working parents. It affects, you know, you know, people that aren't as affluent. So for me, making a commercially available option for baby food was both a calling and I think the greater health and, you know, potential for children, but also on parenting. Like, it's like, can you actually offer a better solution for parents so they don't feel bad that they have Mm -hmm. to work all the time? They don't feel guilty for making these choices. And so it was, I think, a little bit of both of those that I thought was really, really interesting. And on top of that, I think what I think is like a long-term health outcome. Mm -hmm. And the first thousand days there, it's not the thousand days from when they're born, is it? It's actually the the thousand days that you're talking about in that example is in the womb? Yes, in utero. So Mm -hmm. it's, and if you think about it, it, that makes so much sense, right? That is why your doctor prescribes prenatal vitamins. That is why, I mean, it's, it is the actual nutrition that you're getting, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't get enough, you don't take prenatal vitamins, your baby leaches it from your body. And this is always really fascinating to me, but if you're you're not getting enough calcium, your baby will actually take it from a mother's bones. Wow. Right. So it's so important. And that's why it's important to know this, like to know all of these things. That's how how much your baby needs it. They're growing at an exponential rate. Of course, they're going to need an an exponential amount of these things to make that happen. Yeah. And what I love about what you're doing is, you know, there's... Uh, products that have been sitting on the shelf for five years. They got like 30 grams of sugar and people have the best, the parents who have that parent guilt is real, but we have the best intentions of being like, oh, we're not going to give our kids the the packaged food all the time, but it's just impossible. Like when you're traveling, you're going and and doing different things. So having that healthy alternative is is such a big one, right? Compared to all the other, uh, not to me, you know, I mentioned it in the the intro, like the deceptive labeling. It doesn't matter what product you're buying. It can be very tough to find out what's actually healthy, you know, things like natural and and terms like that that are very misleading. That's actually right. And I think, you know, what's really sort of a shame is that as a parent, you make a thousand decisions, right? You make so many decisions in a day and you would love to be able to say, I just trust this to be good. But because of all this deceptive marketing, because there's, you know, hidden things and you don't know what's right, you just end up going with something that you other people have used or look seemingly like healthy enough. Mm-hmm. And so we sort of set forth like, can we make a brand that actually was better, that did all of the tests, was very transparent. And so that as we launch new things, you believe that also is better. And you can you can start to believe that this brand's better for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what's missing here in this space. We have a lot of mums who listen to the Win the Day podcast, who have their own business or want to start their own business. You mentioned a lot of the research that you did there, diving into some of the clinical studies. Mm-hmm. How does someone go about finding studies and, and how do they know what are the best things to, to go and look up? Were there any other websites that you would recommend for people to do that? Yeah. I mean, I don't think everyone that starts a business has to go deep into clinical research. Mm-hmm. I, I would say I look at PubMed a lot. Like I look, you know, there's it just, it depends what you're into. Like, this is like, I was doing scientific research, which is, you know, not every business. Mm-hmm. I think that from a research perspective, if you're going to try to start a company though, there are a lot, there's a lot out there on, you know, business plans and how do you, you know, how do you start what, to make a deck? How do you start to formulate the, like the concept of this company? And I think that one of the 
the best things is actually putting it on paper. Mm-hmm. Like, can you pitch a friend? Can you pitch a parent? Because those are the hard ones. Because you're, you know, those are embarrassing, and you feel. <laughs> but if you can convince people, like actual people, there's no reason why that doesn't translate to convincing the nation, right? So you can convince, like, so it starts with the little things. Mm. Did you have a hard time convincing friends? I feel like it would have been an absolute slam dunk. If I was in that room, I would have said, take my money. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, the funny thing is, is that how, how actually hesitant a lot of people are in general, people are very risk averse, you know, by, by nature. And so, yes, I had very supportive friends and family, but I also had people that were like, you know, this exists already or, you know, good luck. And I think that there is, I think that's actually a really good lesson too, is that, you're going to have a lot of no's and a lot of people in this world that are going to be like, you know, just more risk averse than you are. Mm. And I think you shouldn't let that stop you. Right. Yeah. I think you you have to believe in what you're doing. And if you believe it enough and you're optimistic enough, you'll work past all of that. Yeah. And sometimes the people who care about you most can say no. And it's only when they see the momentum that you've been able to build externally that they come back on board. And it's like, wow, it's interesting. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And they think they're doing you a service by being so like pessimistic. You know, they think that they're protecting you in some ways. So I wouldn't even take that to be, you know, you know, unique or, or, it is it's just how people are. Yeah. yeah. And when you were pregnant with your first child, obviously it's very difficult. Even you can read all the books, you can watch all the things, but until you go through it, it's mm-hmm. very difficult to know what you're what you're in for. How difficult was the decision to start your business while being pregnant with your first child? So I was pregnant with my second child. Oh, was it the second yeah, child? When I yeah. Started. Yeah. And it was because of my first child that I we started the company though. Mm-hmm. So um and it was it was quite difficult, I'd say. It was it was very difficult to to make a leap during a time of, you know, change already. Mm. And you had, and I, and I did know what I was getting into because it was my second. Yeah. So, but I guess yeah. there's a lot more chaos added yeah, to the household, right? Yeah. yeah. So I already knew that it was going to be a lot of work and I knew that. Um, and so I think it also gave me strength to do it because after the first one, you realize how fundamentally different your life is. And it already is different and it already is chaotic. And so adding in some more chaos, I felt was kind of a cherry on top. (laughs) And how has your mindset evolved since becoming a parent? And is there anything that you've taken from that to apply to your business philosophy? Yeah, I do think being a parent adds a lot to my perspective around life and business. I think that it makes me much more of a long-term thinker. You know, I, I always joke that the longest long game is a child. It's like, cause you think you're doing these things and you're like, okay, I'm going to sleep train or not sleep train. You have no idea the effect of that until they're 18. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, so it's sort of, like, I have no idea if this, you know, you know, messed you up at all. But, um, so it's sort of this, it, 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 it takes you out of the momentary gain or the momentary, like, you know, did I do this one thing really well to sort of think, let's think of this long-term, let's scope this out for a greater period of time and mm-hmm. say, you know, what does it take to get there? And I think that it's, it's actually very helpful in that way. I, again, I, also in the same way why I started the company, I also think it throws you into chaos. And so I used to be a very, you know, I'm very type A still, but I used to be very type A organized plans, you know, and you realize with children, like you cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you know, there is, you know, there's no plan that, 
goes exactly to plan with children. <laughs> so I think it makes you a little bit more flexible. Yeah, everyone has a plan till the toddler turns up. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> was there a business milestone that you hit where you were like, wow, this is just awesome. It's like a dream come true type thing? So I think along the way, there's always been a bunch of milestones that I can think of that make me really proud. I'd say that even the first moment of quitting my job, milestone one was a big moment, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, wow, I can't believe we're doing this. It was you know, very exciting. Mm -hmm. And then the first time we raised money was again, like, wow, we're doing this. But really when we started hitting escape velocity, right? So when we started feeding, you know, 2%, 3%, 4% of babies born in America, you start really realizing the impact that you have, mm. you know, and like how many people's lives are changing, mm. how many people are, you know, how real this thing is. And then when we got into retail, it was actually this other like, you know, pinch me moment of this is nationwide. You can find it in every target. Mm. And I think that was, again, another moment of, we are doing this. This is the dream. How did you balance up exclusivity with Target versus getting distribution with Whole Foods and a whole bunch of other stores? You know, it's it was it was a long time we were thinking about you know who who should we go with, but for a couple of reasons we chose Target. One, like ninety five percent of our customers were actually also shopping mm. at Target. The moms love Target. Yeah, moms love Target. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like and so it was like already you have a great overlap of customer base, but on top of that, you know everyone shops at Target. So you can be like very, very wealthy. You can be like, you know, taking food stamps and they accept it across the board. And so you're actually getting broad exposure. And it goes back to our mission of wanting to feed more people, like, you know, want to have health and nutrition available to more people. And so it was a great overlap, sort of like in the purpose that we wanted. Yeah. And then like the, I guess like the third reason, which is, you know, not to diminish how good of a reason it is, but they're great partners. Mm -hmm. So they're excellent partners to launch with. They work with a lot of startup companies. And I think that allowed us to sort of like, you know, really see what it could look like at retail. Yeah. Have you been able to expand internationally as yet, or is that something on the horizon? International is on the horizon. It's yeah. not yet. You know, I think there's, again, so much demand for this worldwide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, at Target, I guess, having a partner that has these distribution channels all over the world has got to be a huge advantage when you do want to take that, take that leap. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, that's a big consideration. It's like who your first partners are and can they take you somewhere else? Mm. And you mentioned investors before there. You've had, you know, some incredible founders. You've got the founders of, I think it was Warby Parker, Harry's, Uber, people like Snoop Dogg involved. Yes. How does it feel to have these people supporting you and the mission that you're on? You know, again, that's another sort of milestone. It was like sort of pinch me moments every time. <laughs> I think one of those things was in, it gives you this confidence that what you're building is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think, and it's one, it's worthwhile from an investment perspective, but these are people and that's their personal money. And so when people part with personal money, you know, that they really believe in it. Mm. Right. And I think, so it became this, you know, amazing, I guess, badge of honor, like, sort, you know, to have these founders of very successful companies in brands and consumer goods, take a look at it and say, I love that. That needs mm. to exist. I want to do that. Yeah, and a big part of what you wanted to do with your mission was to get more females to support you on the mission, right? You've got women from, you know, a whole bunch of people in, involved now. Can you tell us a little bit about that decision and how important that is to you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, honestly, we had someone who came to work with us for a period of time that I absolutely love. Um, Sarah Marie Martin, she came from Goldman Sachs and she came in, look at her cap table and she said, you know, 
it's a shame. You have, you know, this product that's meant for, you know, primarily women are consuming it and it's mostly men on your cap table. We should fix this, you know? And I think she brought that to our attention and we went out specifically to then raise money from women because women are often left out on the investment side. You know, women either don't have access to certain investments or they're more risk adverse sometimes. And like, but they're often left out. And so they get left out. And that's a huge asset class to be left out in. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, this should be something for for women, give access specifically to women. And so we went out and raised from women and amazing women joined mm-hmm. in that. I love that. It makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Is there a particularly challenging day that you've had along this journey where you were like, oh my God, is this, is this journey even worth it? Or are we going to be able to get unstuck? That's usually not my mindset. So I, I I generally don't think that there's anything that you can't get out of. So there's no quagmire that is, you know, too sticky. I think there is there my my general mindset is we'll we'll figure this out. Mm. Have there been times where that has gone on a long time? Absolutely. You know, like <laughs> this is a very big one. Like and so but I, I, I think that my mindset is always we will find a way out of it. Mm. I um, messaged a few friends of mine who are moms who have their own business. And this was the common question that came back. Was there a specific moment when you felt a lot of doubt or overwhelm? And how did you maintain that perseverance and that resilience? Yeah, I think most of the doubt comes before you make the leap. So there's so much self-doubting. There's so much like, what about, like, kind of questions, you know, mm-hmm. so should I do something else? Is this the right thing? You know, just so many questions will come. And I think, but after you make the leap, there is no turning back. You know, there is no, like, should I have done something else? You can't ask that question. Like, you are here and you're going to make it work. And so I'd say the doubt happened much before that. Mm-hmm. And I think, and to get unstuck, I actually was talking about this the other day, which is I have a really amazing co-founder. And so my co-founder, Evelyn, she she compliments me in all the other ways. You know, I'm a math person. She's an English person. But one of the things that she's very great at and I admire very much is that when she makes a decision, she goes for it. And it it helps it helped me get out of that doubt, you know, so her being so certain about it helped me become certain of it. I think that actually is true across a lot of co-founders. And I think, so a lot of times I think is finding someone that also believes in it mm-hmm. can help you because whether that's a partner, like an actual co-founder or that's a spouse or somebody that's like, let's do this, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And then you make the jump. And then once you make the jump, you've already, you're already there. So powerful, just taking the leap so then you can establish a little bit of momentum that can, it's a lot easier to continue from there. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Uh, I want to talk about specific business things. If you were a professor and you were teaching a class on on Business 101, you had to write a few key lessons or, or principles on the board, what would it be? I've said it's a lot. I've touched on it a lot, but I'd say that like the number one thing is optimism. You know, attitude is everything. And it's often lightly said, but it's very true. Um doubt will seep in um, sort of this negativity can seep in. And I think that, you know, negativity breeds more negativity. Uh, So I really think the number one thing you can do is believe in it. 
And so be optimistic, believe in it, it will work. Mm -hmm. And if you do, you will find a solution. So like there's, there's this level of perseverance that I think people just like, it's the number one thing you should adopt in mm -hmm. your life is a little bit of grit, keep going. Mm -hmm. And um, it'll get everyone further than you've ever imagined you would. Um, the second thing is learn a little bit of the jargon. And I think that that is unfortunate, but also very true. Like the fact that I used to work at Goldman Sachs and I used to be an investment banker and I then was in private equity means that I had this jargon. Like I knew how to pitch and I knew what people were looking for and sort of the metrics they're going to look at and, and things like, and I think that that, that, so when I help people create their business plans, people have never done that before. Like I, I try to give that a little bit. So I into the deck and they've, they've always said that that's the most helpful part. And mm -hmm. I think, so reading other decks or seeing other things out there, I think is very helpful. You sort mm -hmm. of learn the way that the system works and mm -hmm. what you're supposed to say. And so I think jargon kind of learning is, is important. And then the third thing is probably surround yourself with really good people. And it maybe feeds into the first one, but attitude is everything. So finding people that are excited to work with it, work with you, work with on the project, passionate about something is, again, a momentum builder. You know, the early days, it's not like you're going to go poach someone that works at you know, a huge tech company. The point is actually, can you build momentum? Can you put catapult yourself from stage like one to two and that it, or even the stage of zero to one? Like, and so finding people that are excited and motivated and can, everyone can work together and push you along is such a big part of it. And to think that you should do it alone is a mistake because it's, it's very hard to always self-motivate every day, right? It's in the same way it's hard to work out every day. It's, you know, it's getting, getting people to help build with you is, is such a big part of like company building. Mm. The technical side and the jargon you mentioned you got there from your career, the mm -hmm. optimism, the grit and the growth mindset, the team, the relationships, where did that come from? I'm wondering if there are any specific books that you, that you have read or anything like that that have really helped shape that mindset for you? Yeah, I mean, I've read, I've read a fair amount, you know, so I've read like all the growth mindset books. Uh, I actually started reading that only after I had kids though, because mm. it's for my, <laughs> my children. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, the obvious books are Grit being one of them, you know, it's and there's um, Shoe Dog, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think that really it was more a collection. So like a compendium of advice and a compendium of books that I've read mm -hmm. that kind of led to this belief. But um, I'd say that pretty much every every sort of executive book out there will probably have some touch on the sort of similar topics. And mm -hmm. so they... I think that's sort of the overwhelming advice, though, is to kind of like get, get through it, like persevere, mm. you know? And so, <laughs> how, do, how do you balance success with who you are as an individual, with success in the home, with success in the business? How do you balance all those things day to day and, and figure out what to prioritize on any given day? It's a great question. You know, I'm going to take that sort of in a different way, which was how do I forgive myself sometimes mm. with not being successful in certain ways? And I was at this conference once where Jeff Bezos said that he looks for what he's giving energy to. And so sometimes in his life, what's giving him the most energy is his family. 
And so he'll end work a little bit early, go home and spend time with his family or take his kids to school in the morning because that's what's giving him the most energy. And then sometimes it's work that's giving him the most energy and he goes to work and he'll work till nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night because, and, and it was because if he focused on energy more, it actually made him better in both settings. Mm. So if he was at work and that was giving the most energy, then when he was with his kids, he was very present and excited because he was so excited about life. And if it was with his kids and he would go to work and he'd be giving it his all because he just had all this great time with his kids. And I think, and so to answer that question, I sort of take that advice. And I think for me, it was about what do I want to give work and what do I want to give my kids? And if my kids can see me energized and happy and excited every day, then they're going to forgive me for not always being there, you know, when they get home or not, like, you know, doing everything for them at all times. Right. And it's, and same thing with work. Like if I, if I can be more present at work and be excited and be the leader that people want me to be, they're going to, that's going to pay more dividends than me just showing up and being in a bad mood or being, you know, not completely present. Mm. Something I've written about before is you can't be um, productive without being present. A lot of stress mm-hmm. and, and heartache seems to come when you're on your phone doing work stuff when you've got kids there or you're trying to focus on work stuff while kids are running around, like all, all of the different sort of derivatives of that. It's, mm-hmm. it's very tough, isn't it, when you've got all those intersecting worlds that collide at the one time rather than giving your attention to those individually and, and having the respect for that. I absolutely agree with that. And I think that the pandemic really changed that for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. I think it changed it for me too. I mean, just anecdotally, like, I think it's really interesting because I, I truly believe that's true. Like you having the ability to compartmentalize allows you to be present. And so when things get really muddled is when you have a lack of real, like real presence and real present moment like thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, last question before we move into the rocket round. On your best day, what's an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard that you could show yourself on your worst day? So I think that something I learned, my one of my advisors in college told me that I take is that showing up is 90% of life. And sometimes on my worst day, you think I don't even want to go. I'd rather just not do something. But if you just show up, that's actually good things will come out of that. And so you never know. And I think that I I still even need that to today, till this day today, that on my worst day, I'm like, I don't even want to go. I don't want to do this. But showing up is 90% of life. Just show up. That's what Just I say every, yeah, every time I go and do like a, a fitness class. I'm yeah. like, the goal isn't to do a great fitness class. Yeah. The goal is to show up. You know, yeah. they're going to kick your ass when you get there. That's right. Just <laughs> show up. And guess what? You probably will work out. Things will happen. You know, it's, it's crazy, but yeah. it's 90% of life. Well, let's now move into the win the day rocket round. 10 questions for some quick answers. You up for this one, Angela? Okay. <laughs> Number one, what quote inspires you the most? So there's a quote from Shakespeare that says, it's not in the stars that holds our destiny, but in ourselves. Mm, love it. Number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Neither. I don't drink coffee, nor do I drink wine, but uh, I probably will have a tea. Love <laughs> it. What type of tea? Green tea. Nice. Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? That people and friendships will help you more than just education. Mm. Number four, what book do you gift the most? Shoe Dog. 
Phil Knight, great book, isn't it? Yeah, great book. So good. <laughs> Number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? Yeah, I, I used to be, you know, very analytical about everything and overanalyze things. And I think that actually now I realize that my ability to overanalyze probably helps us a lot mm-hmm. and think about sort of different outcomes and and plan different things. And so I used to try to avoid that, but now I embrace it. Mm-hmm. Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? I I learned that there is no such thing as true failure, that you either win or you learn, but you'll get better. Mm-hmm. Number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? I'd probably speak to uh, David Foster Wallace. Mm-hmm. I find him to be so fascinating. And I'd love to know what's inside his brain. And he's also funny and great at pop culture. So Mm. it would have been awesome. (laughs) Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? I think that of tools, Excel is probably my favorite thing in the whole world. I I joke that the inventor of Excel is probably my dream husband. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, it's such a brilliant, like machination. It's a... there's so many things you can do with it. You yeah. Can handle everything. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Number nine, what's one thing on your bucket list? I really want to go on a safari with my children. That's the bucket list for me. Be very cool. And final question, number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day? I, every day, try to be as optimistic as I can about the day itself, what I'm accomplishing, and the goals that we're trying to set. The win the day mentality. I love it, Angela. So good. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Angela and Yumi, and we'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can follow them on Instagram at Yumi. Visit their website, helloyumi.com, and drop into your local Target to check out their full range of products. Again, all of that and more will be linked in the show notes. Angela, thanks so much for coming on the show. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Win the Day podcast. We want to hear your thoughts on what we covered today, so drop a comment on the YouTube version of this episode with your favorite takeaway, any questions you have or what actions you'll be taking as a result of what was shared in this episode. And if you found value in the Win the Day podcast, leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You'll find a link to both of those in the show notes. It'll only take you a few seconds and more ratings really helps other people discover the show so they can get the mindset upgrade they need and we can bring more winners into the Win the Day movement. That's all for this episode. Get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.